Welcome back to the uh, Brain Blocks podcast where we explore the intersection of neuroscience and culture. I'm here with my friend Isaac, and today we'll be delving into the fully immersive VR experience and a simulated reality. Isaac, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. So uh, we're going to learn. So, yeah, we're focusing on the future of VR. And so the future of VR and the first step to creating sort of a fully immersive VR experience is through achieving one idea of presence. It's sort of chasing how to reach presence. So presence in VR is defined as the ability to enable people to interact with and or feel connected to the world outside their physical bodies via technology. So if you think about that, that would be sort of, it's just anything with a direct interaction to the point where you would forget about reality. So there are two ways to reach this idea. Uh, number one would be with an immersive digital environment. Um, and so that you, it, you would be required to go through all the five senses. We have more than five senses, but mainly you would need panoramic 3D displays. You need surround sound acoustics. You'd need haptics and force feedback to sort of fill the tactile need there. And then you'd need smell replication and taste replication. So all of these exist in some capacity. So right now there are a few examples of fully immersive VR experiences currently being used. Uh, they're used in all branches of the military, Army, Navy, Coast Guard. Uh, Olympic athletes use them to train reaction time. And they're even used to treat some mental illnesses like anorexia. Wow. That's actually, I had no idea that it would um, treat anorexia. I mean, I find it really interesting because uh, something that we don't really think about is that there are a lot of um, artifacts that we already ignore. So the panoramic 3D displays you talk about, uh, I mean, if you've had a VR headset on, you kind of get lost in the idea that you can see more and that you can see the, you know, the black plastic or something beside the displays. And you almost forget that your eyes are able to see more and you get lost into just seeing this um, smaller 16 by 9 screen or whatever the actual um, aspect. I think it's more by, like uh, 4 by 3 with uh, each individual eye. But... It's, it's very interesting because I feel almost like when, we're, when I'm in VR, if I'm able to get myself lost in it already, I'm, um, I, I'm able to forget, oh, yeah, can I smell things? I, you know, I forget that. I, I don't need to pay attention to that. I mean, we even right now, uh, like we're not paying attention to our nose. I can always see my nose, but I forget about it most of the time throughout the day. So I wonder if there's... Um, I wonder if there would be, uh, you know, maybe a couple of more artifacts like that in, uh, in a uh, consumer, you know, fully immersive VR experience that you would just ignore after a while of use. And maybe that's even existing in our <laughs> simulated reality that we could be in right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So like our brains are very powerful things. I think, uh, you know, that experiment, right, where they switched. So right now, the way our vision works is we see something in the optical nerve. It needs to get reflected back to us. So in reality, your brain sort of sees a 3D projection, a flipped projection of what you see. Yeah, uh, and they flipped that already. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's just an example of how we can do it. But so even VR, to get sort of the idea of presence, it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, I mentioned how it was used to treat anorexia. One of the main ways they did that is simply by using current VR headsets. Um, and then putting them in sort of a healthier idea of a body. And so that body image stuck and that sort of helped them create a healthier body image. 
Um, this was at the University of Madrid, I believe. Um, so you're telling me that if I have a VR headset on long enough, and I think with this VR headset, I look around, I look down at my body, and I'm a cat girl, you think that there's a certain point where I will just become a cat girl? Uh, well, <laughs> it's, more, it's more the idea of creating, of channeling into similar thoughts and sort of uh, creating those neural connections. No, I, I know. I mean, if you have, like, if I was in a VR uh, simulation or even just wore, like, a fat suit the entire time in this VR sim, uh, you know, I'm a fat guy, I'm sure as soon as I got out of it, I would, like, totally stop eating or think that I'm super fat and need to stop eating and need to change my eating habits, I, especially if I was doing it, uh, you know, a couple hours a day or something. That would be really... Um, I wouldn't say beneficial, but that would be really effective at changing those mental loops and functions that we already have to kind of create more thoughts of, oh, God, you know, I look down, oh, I'm such a fat ass, you know, whatever it is. So that's crazy. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other times was they used medical students and they put them in the idea of like an elderly person. So they sort of made everything around them a little bit quicker. Um, and so that helped people gain a sort of an idea of the elderly. So currently it's, we have a sort of an incomplete presence, um, which is still beneficial and which is still used in some therapies. Um, but if you want to find that sort of full, indistinguishable, everything is the same, completely immersive, you're going to need to do immersive virtual reality, which is the idea of direct stimulation of the brain. So the main thing stopping the immersive virtual reality same thing with brain-to-brain -brain interactions is an incomplete map of the central nervous system because we're going to need to directly stimulate the central nervous system now luckily for us uh there's the blue brain project at the university of zurich which is trying to reverse engineer mammalian brain circuitry it exists they've done it for a mouse but unfortunately we're not going to be able to get it uh, a mouse is a little bit more simple than. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they, I think they might have a little bit smaller of a brain than ours. Um, but I have seen, I have at least seen that we've dissected the um, nervous system or the human nervous system a couple of times. Uh, of course, only a couple of times, partially because of, you know, human rights concerns and. Um, yeah, but. Bioethical, bioethics messes everything up. Yeah, for some reason we care about humans more than other animals, despite us just being evolved monkeys. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that it's super interesting. And it would be, it would be really curious if, uh, I mean, if we are going back to, uh, and I always go back to this, that the world is a simulation. We are in this VR experience. I mean, think about babies. Think about us growing as almost being... Um, the times that we can learn those remapped keys. Because if we're, you know, we're playing a video game, you're playing uh, Minecraft, CSGO, most of the time WASD are the keys that you're going to use to move around. In the same way, I use my leg muscles, uh, you know, contracting each other and pulling on each other across my leg bones in order to move my legs and walk around. We could imagine a scenario where being a baby, being... Um, a small child born into this world, that is where we learn how to use our changed um, key maps because 
I mean, really, once we die, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there will be some um, almost therapy for us to recover from what this existence was. But I think that it's the same thing going in, that it's not therapy, but it's teaching that the child, the baby, um, us, we need to relearn those remapped keys, those changed inputs, because from whatever we were before to whatever we are now, we have to, um, yeah, manipulate and change how we would control ourselves. So even if we folded ourselves up as, uh, as a pretzel, um, you know, maybe that, oh, okay, that's really what it is in my current perspective to control uh, a body higher than mine or the body above mine that I think is within this universe. Absolutely. And so you were talking about um, with mapping the nervous system. I think I was a little bit, um, I didn't give enough information there. It's not mapping out a nervous system because we do have that and we have saved sort of, you've seen those creepy little like marionette strings. Oh yeah, they're scary as hell. It's a one-to-one -one mapping based on muscles in the nervous system. So it's the same thing where we need the, the uh, uh, neuronal links which we're still quite a far away from. Um, but yeah, that could be different, um, especially if we would eventually reach that point. Um, also, we need the ability to manipulate the central nervous system, which we don't have yet, but there is some futures in carbon nanotubes and nanotechnology, which could help us with that. But currently we're still far enough from immersive virtual reality. But I mean, that brings us to the second point how do we know that we're not experiencing immersive virtual reality right now? Yeah, that's a good, oh, I'm getting some, your internet connection's unstable. No, that's a, that's a wonderful point. I mean, sorry. I, I was just saying a little bit static. Oh, um, I hope you can hear me fine. It's, it's interesting to think about. And I wasn't trying to say that, I wasn't trying to say that, um, yeah, we're, we already know where we, uh, our nervous system works and how we can manipulate it. Um, but I know that we have already dissected a good portion of the nervous system a couple of times. And that's, yeah, that's what I was trying to talk about. But yeah, I mean, if we, if we really do think that, um, or if we imagine ourselves as the presence or the awareness within this human body, um, because really that's what we would need in order to create another uh, VR, you know, a simulation of simulations, uh, <laughs> um, then it makes total sense for, yeah, for a lot of these to be remapped, not because, um, well, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure, but you're, you're, you're using another controller, it, you know, you, instead of the, whatever body you were in before, whatever system you're in before, you're using this human body, you're using this creature that you exist in and are right now. Um, so it's super interesting to think about how we could develop that uh, by, yeah, getting a better understanding of the entire human body nervous system because we can't just use a rough understanding. We would really need to, yeah, manipulate. We need to be able to manipulate almost every cell in our body in order to really uh, trick ourselves. And I don't know, I, I still do go back to, I think that there's a border where even now, um, obviously, if I have my VR headset on, I've got my two Oculus controllers in my hands, at any moment, I can stop and go, oh, 
yeah, I've got my two Oculus controllers in my hands and my VR headset on my head that weighs 20 pounds. You know, I, I feel this. I can understand that this is different from my real reality. But if I am uh, getting lost in it and I'm focusing on the game, if I'm focusing on something other than, yeah, myself, then it is really easy to get lost in it, even without, you know, smell replication, taste replication, um, uh, even haptics and force feedback, I would say I don't really, it doesn't really exist in consumer products, uh, even as cheap as, yeah, like the Oculus 2 or whatever, uh, the Oculus Quest, um, Oculus Quest 2, because, yeah, okay, maybe the controller will vibrate or maybe you'll have some little things, um, but really all we have right now is, yeah, the relatively immersive displays, the sound, and... <laughs> some controller vibrational feedback so it's and even at that level you know it's not too difficult to get lost so i'm curious what the point you know where where the line will draw where we're able to manipulate a good amount of the nervous system or manipulate um, a good amount of our own understanding of what our body is doing because that's really what we need to change um, and then oh yeah we can already get lost in it we can already you know, live an entire life in this simulation, and it's been, you know, 20 minutes in our real world. Yeah, so the ability to create immersive virtual reality would, it would fundamentally shift our perception of how we live right now. Because without the technology, we're either faced with something unknown is possible and something unknown has happened. This is on the idea of whether or not, how, how sort of we know what we know and how we know where we are. That would fundamentally change how we would think about an idea. Um, if we would have that technology and if you would sort of raise someone from birth in a, in a muscle virtual reality and then after X amount of time take them out, if they wouldn't realize they were in that circumstance, I mean that would revolutionize where we are right now because it would sort of create the idea that such a technology is possible. And so everything we know we accept as a premise. So I would be very interested to see if this becomes possible, what could be accepted as a premise as well? Yeah, and that's, I mean, we always make the most uh, groundbreaking discoveries when we don't think, or when we think what we know isn't really true, or when we question our reality. Um, obviously, yeah, okay, the Earth at the center of the solar system is a wonderful example, because for a while we did think that. And by only tearing down what we believe, we're able to build new walls and build new um, ideas and thoughts. So I think that it would be, yeah, like you're saying, incredibly, um, maybe we wouldn't be able to tell if it was beneficial or bad, but it would definitely develop a whole new perspective, um, not just for us, but for the, every human on earth. Yeah, oh, okay, this reality isn't real. You know, maybe, maybe we could focus a little more on uh, loving each other and <laughs> being joyful rather than uh, being so destructive like we are right now. But even that, I, I mean, that's just a... Or, or uh, just find the nearest bridge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, a lot of people who, well, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you don't think reality is real, then why bother living it? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That's really what you want to run into there. Which is such a terrible thought to have. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thought to have. And it would be, 
you know, maybe, maybe you need to create a simulated reality for people who think that reality isn't real so that they can get a better grasp on reality and they can feel better about their own reality. <laughs> maybe you need to put them into a, uh, a life that's lower or um, more apocalyptic than your own in order to, oh yeah, I feel much better about where I'm at now. You know, I feel like I can keep going and uh, keep my head up strong because I wasn't starving like I was in that simulation. Yeah, I've always wondered how much we could get a person to believe just based on, like, preconception. Like, of course, this wouldn't be ethical to do, but, like, raising a, like, a color, like, diagnose, I'm not sure if we can diagnose a kid with color blindness um, just based on anatomy, but if you would do that, if you could do that, and then just like pretend the idea of color just doesn't exist. Cause I, there's a, it's a certain type, it's like dichromal colorblindness or something where you can't see like most colors. You can only see two instead of just red green. Um, and just like see if that they would sort of like fill in the gaps, like someone around the, like we would never tell them what color is and just see if like they would expect like what, how that would change if they would sort of fix an idea of light diffraction in different ways. Yeah, I mean, that would, be, that would be incredibly interesting because, I mean, language and what's around us really um, changes what, how, not only how we think or see color, but how we think or see overall. Uh, and so by changing that or by being able to manipulate someone's beliefs, I think that that would be, that would be incredibly interesting to look into. And maybe even start to experiment with yourself. You know, what if, what if everything you did, you turned on like grayscale mode on your technology, on your electronics to make it seem like it wasn't real, to make it seem like this was, that was the simulated reality and everything else was real. Would that, you know, would that change a lot of your mentality based, uh, or, or thinking towards the online world, the online um, sphere, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we know that um, there was there uh, there was some research into early cultures and their uh, naming of colors, and a lot of it was uh, obviously environmental based. So you pretty much every culture had a color for green because oh yeah you know greens all around you. you greens greens growth green is eatable things green is bad things as well you know green is plants greens all over. Uh, I think it was red was another one because of blood. You know, that's a very strong emotional, um, not only emotional, but physically um, uh, feeling that you will have. And I'm trying to remember, there was one other, maybe it was blue for the sky, but it was, uh, it's, it's incredibly interesting that across. Blue is Sorry? a lot. Of, uh, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a lot of the times is we struggle to see blue. So this, it's a common misconception on sort of the idea. Uh, something that's been taught around a lot is like green, Greece people, Greek, the Greek, ancient Greek civilization did not have an idea for blue because in Homer's Iliad, he said, uh, wine dark sea. He didn't describe it as like a blue sea. He said wine dark. Interesting. Uh, which isn't blue. And then there's also the Himber people in, I believe, upper Nigeria. Um, who don't have a mention of the word blue. Um, and so they can't they can still see differentiate it. There's no differentiation between blue and green uh, because blue isn't seen too much. Um, but so they, he did 11 shades 
Um, and so they could tell the difference, but right away it took a while and it was a lot less, less than what we would see normally. Super interesting. Yeah, it, it has me questioning um, the way that our language as well can develop the way that we see the world around us. Because calling something wine dark sea, you know, that's obviously just relating to, oh yeah, the color of my wine. So if we could teach, you know, going back to the uh, taking a small child and, and imprisoning it into these experiments, if, if you were, you know, teaching someone their whole life uh, a certain language, um, I, wonder, I, I wonder how the different languages um, perceive different things. I mean, uh, French, for example, or, well, not just French, a lot of other languages um, focus on masculine and feminine words uh, where English doesn't. And so that separator, maybe that's, oh, maybe that's why, you know, <laughs> in more recent times, we're seeing more um, transgender and LGBTQ bending the lines of sexuality and gender itself because we aren't bound by feminine and masculine words. You know, <laughs> I, I'm getting a little bit off the deep end with that, but that's, it's interesting to think about how a language, um, it's not just a way that we can communicate with each other, but it's a way that our mind interprets the world around us. This is called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Um, it's, it's, it's very hotly contested in linguistics, uh, which is the idea that what we see, what we speak influences what we see. Um, Sapir-Whorf hypothesis for linguistics. Uh, anyway, though, I think we're at about like 20 minutes. So I think now's the time. We got a little bit off, traffic, off topic today, but I think it was really, we had a good conversation. So from the Brain Blocks podcast, this is Isaac and Gunner signing off. Hope to see you again next week. Go crazy.